0: it's a very proactive approach instead of sitting there. If you're just sitting waiting, then you're really just waiting for the problem. They're not gonna reach out. They're only gonna reach out when they have the problem. But if you're being proactive and inserting yourself and building the relationship, you're there to help solve um, business issues.
1: And that was a clip from our interview with today's guest, Carrie Fraser. So before we get to today's episode, though, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. everyone and welcome to the show our guest today is someone that i can pretty comfortably say is one of my favorite people to know and to work with and you know we've had that wonderful connection where we met professionally and now we've also become good friends and i'm i'm so honored to have her here today so with that carrie welcome to the show
0: thank you ram it's an honor to be here
1: thank you okay so we start with the first one and of course the first one's a big question um people from a lot of different backgrounds listen to this show so we've got people from the corporate world like you and i we have people who are from like the punk and hardcore world that listen to it we've got artists we've got activists we've got athletes people who really come from different walks of life do different things have different interests but what brings them to this show is the conversation about leadership and hearing stories from people who are leaders like someone like yourself who's an actual like your role is to lead, but you're also someone who's like a leader in life. Like you're, you're challenging norms or pushing ideas. So people come to hear your, the takes from people like you about leadership. So my first question is, if you think about leadership, what does that mean for you in your life, both personally and professionally?
0: This is a big question.
1: Uh, we got it. We got to go right from the start. We got to hit it hard.
0: <laughs> okay. So leadership to me, both, personally and professionally is for me always trying to elevate and learn for myself and do the same for others around me. Um, I'm always thinking about how can we uh, be better, do better um, as individuals and as a team and that's and I think about that both personally and professionally.
1: So I can say having known you for a long time, like that's 100% true. Is that something that you've always been like, or have you become more like that over time?
0: I think I've always been like that. I think I've just gotten more confident in showcasing it and seeing it as a strength of mine. Um, Think when I if I think back to being even a kid or being younger, I always could look at things and want to speak up about something, see how something could be better, see something that didn't sit right with me, but I uh, would second guess or question myself. And now I not that I don't do that now, but I feel much more confident in being able to do that.
1: If you were to think about your development as a leader. What are some of the barriers that you had to move out of the way yourself? So if you think like, you know, like things that maybe people didn't necessarily help you with, they might have helped a bit, but essentially you're the one who moved it out of the way. What are some of those barriers to become the leader that you are today?
0: Oh gosh, there's a lot. I'll probably hit on some that I've been probably most insecure about at times Mm -hmm. is, you know, I don't have I don't have a degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never, um, for me growing up, going to university didn't really seem like an option just based on, um, just based on circumstances in my family. And so I just went a different path and fell into HR. And, um, so I, I don't have a degree and I think at times people overlooked, overlooked me. Uh, It became easy to overlook me because I didn't have that traditional education, although I've taken, I do a lot of education, I don't have a degree. Um, I think at times people have overlooked me based on what they think my age might be. Um, And so those are a couple of barriers. So I've just had to work, um, work harder around that and be able to showcase that I, I am really smart, I can problem solve, I can push things forward, I can be a leader without um, some of those areas. But yeah, I think people just automatically would see it as a weakness.
1: The education piece, can I speak to that for a sec?
0: Yeah, please.
1: All right, everyone. I'm, I'm sorry if you have an advanced degree. I, I mean, this is no insult. Uh, at all, but like an advanced degree does not make anyone a good leader at all. Some of the worst leaders I have ever met in my life have ultra advanced degrees. I I can literally just think of someone who had uh, as advanced a degree as you're going to get um, was moved out of a out of a leadership position for just being actually terrible at being a leader. the The understanding of the components of the business were top notch, but being a leader, yeah. Not a degree for that at, at all. So I celebrate really when companies, um, are able to look past, uh, letters behind someone's name and can be like, does this person have what it takes to like actually lead people? Cause that that's a different thing entirely.
0: Yeah, it is. And I actually don't, so many times people make a correlation between education or years of experience to being a great leader. And, um, there's actually I don't think there's a correlation <laughs> <No>. at all. <laughs> yeah,
1: not at all. Uh, there's something that I firmly believe in, like 100% in my heart. You don't need to be an expert to lead something. You just need to be, you just need to be an expert at leading experts.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: So you could have someone who uh, like a, um, a business unit or a you know, business unit that were all like advanced engineers, like advanced robotics engineers with like tons of degrees. I don't believe the person leading them has to have to, Have a degree in in robotics at all uh it doesn't hurt but it doesn't mean someone did have that degree doesn't mean that they'd be like the the best leader they'd have to be an expert leader someone who is really well keyed into leading those types of personalities and the people with those types of backgrounds towards a goal uh for me leadership isn't about the expertise in the functionality of the business unit necessarily it's about the uh, ability to understand listen and learn and adapt so that you can help people come together to do something
0: yeah, I agree. You know, when I, I when I'm thinking back to early in my career, you know, I've been very, well, I'm going to say lucky, but it is more than luck. I know it is. Um, I have, I've done a good job at uh, finding and aligning uh, myself with people that are willing to give me a chance. And what I have found is that I work, I learn my job and I will, um, I'll do it to my full capacity, and then I would take on more. I'd always put my hand up to be part of a project, take on more. If someone's going on mat leave or on a leave, I'll take on part of their job. And um, I have found, so when the opportunity came up, then I would be looked at because I had already started to find ways to give myself experience that I maybe wouldn't have gotten Um, And just really finding those types of leaders that would give me that opportunity and and push things my way.
1: Well, so what's interesting about that, and you went right to what I was, um, I was interested in coming to later, but let's hit it now. There's kind of like a benefit to uh, having a little bit of of adversity. So like not having a degree and having people maybe look, look you over, you have to grind harder, work harder, like put your hand up more. And in doing that, you actually end up positioning yourselves in a way where people are like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like let's, let's put that person in that spot or like, Hey, you know, who would be great for this, that person who's always putting their hand up and perhaps if you'd had a degree, maybe you wouldn't have been doing that. Maybe you wouldn't have been putting your hand up. Maybe you wouldn't have felt that you had to outwork other people to, to get into those spaces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you.
1: Yeah. Um, So let's go to the second one you'd mentioned, you know, like kind of perception of, of age. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that and how you move that out of your way.
0: There have been circumstances where I've seen uh, people get very focused on, we need to bring in an HR leader that has 20 years of experience or, um, again, focused on that experience, which many times can correlate to age. Mm-hmm. people don't go out and say age but um there is like experienced or mature <laughs> there's language there yeah. and um you know in one of my previous roles I saw three HR directors in my time while I was an HR manager where so I was overlooked three times and then they finally decided to give uh me a chance all three of those people were much more experienced <laughs> um, and none of them were successful. And then I was finally given the opportunity and I had—I uh, was very successful in the role and continued to grow and, and ended up leading all of North America and being a VP and being there for almost 11 years. But it took time uh, for people to see me as a serious candidate for a role like that.
1: Well, and what's interesting to me in in both those cases, the like not having, let's say a a degree and then also um, being perceived as like, maybe not like, you know, experienced enough, but we know old enough to be in, in a role. Both of those, you stuck it out and you were the one raising your hands, putting yourself in the, in the position. What, like, when does someone know when to do that? Like when to stick it out versus when to like, jump ship and try and find another opportunity and the reason i'm bringing this up is that the idea of mobility especially in north america it's like oh i always have to get the next job the next thing i've been seeing an increase of people like jumping from job to job to job and company to company trying to get this next thing and i don't don't necessarily think that's the best way to go about attaining those next levels
0: that's a great question and you know during the time period, I definitely thought about it at times. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think for me, I really stepped back and thought, am I still learning a lot here? Mm -hmm. That's going to grow my skill, Mm -hmm. skill set. And I did feel that I was, that I had that opportunity. I also Mm -hmm. was working with some other great leaders too, that I could learn from. So I felt like because of those two things, Mm I was still going to get what I wanted um, also out of it. So I knew that I was going to gain U.S. experience, which is really hard to get in Vancouver. Hmm. I knew that I was going to get to be part of building multiple programs um, from scratch, which is hard to do in in a city which isn't a head office city. Um, I knew that I was going to be part of a company that was going to go from, uh, it's publicly traded. So to be part of that. So there was a bunch of things that I, that I knew, no matter whether I was the HR manager or the HR director, I was still going to grow my skill set there. So it was worth it for me to like stick it out, I guess, and just like learn and get what I needed. And it did end up working out very well for me. And, and then there was a time when it was time for me to leave and I knew that time and it felt like wow I've accomplished all these things I wanted to accomplish I feel like I've learned what I wanted to learn it's actually it's now time for me to go do that somewhere else
1: right on yeah so that differentiator between staying or leaving would be like am I still learning
0: yeah exactly
1: yeah I love that that idea like ah I'm just gonna well if they won't give me this role I'm gonna go somewhere else maybe you do deserve that role like maybe you're dead right but maybe you're wrong maybe you actually don't deserve that role and you just don't realize it you you've got a blind spot about it
0: yeah and i and i was willing i was willing to see that too Mm. uh that i was going to get a chance to learn from some of these people also Mm. and no matter what i learned through that experience too
1: yeah Well, it's interesting because like people could hit it from like, I didn't get that role and it's a disservice to me and you could be right, or you could hit it from, I didn't get that role and maybe they're actually, they're right. And and I need some more time to bake. And this is actually the place that I need to do that because it's going to set me up. There's nothing worse than getting a job that you're not ready for.
0: Yeah. And you know what, Aram, I had um, a leader that I worked with there and she had one of the most difficult conversations, like feedback conversations with me. And I remember it to this day, I know where we were sitting <laughs> and her and I still talk today. And cause I was having a moment of being, a, being kind of negative and bitter and starting to wonder like why I was in this. And, and she, she came and spoke with me and we had a big heart to heart. And after that, I just, it really helped me change, uh, shift my mindset around it. And she was behind me 110% and, uh, helped me be part of projects, helped, um, promote me in different ways and get me access to the different experiences. And, you know, she's still in my corner today and we, we haven't worked together in years. And so that was really, uh, that was a hard conversation for me to hear and probably for her to have, but it was also very caring too. Yeah. And I decided to take it that way.
1: I, I love that. All right. So we talked about a couple barriers that you were able to move out of your own way. What are a couple of barriers as you've grown as a professional, especially now, cause you're in like a really significant role now. What were some barriers that you couldn't move out of your way, out of your way on your own that you needed some support or help with to get those barriers out of your way?
0: One barrier that I think back to early in my career from one of my first um, managers and a mentor still today is him talking to me about my emotions and that what I say and and to be aware of what I say and how I say it. Mm -hmm. And um, that sometimes my message gets lost because of how I'm saying it and people can get thrown off or caught off guard with the emotion I have behind it Mm -hmm. and so you know he shared with me that Carrie like your message is always like lots of times right and you've got so many good points but it can get lost and that's something that's um, been very powerful for me and I still think about often today and and Mm -hmm. I know that that is my strength and my weakness. Mm.
1: So you needed that like real deal, caring, honest, direct feedback so that you could get some help in moving that out of the way. And like what I love about like real feedback is like people being able to do it, but also not just like a one and done, like, and good luck with that, that they'll help you like walk that path of getting it out of your own way.
0: Exactly, yeah. Mm. And again, like I still 20 plus years later, I still keep in touch with that person and Mm. he's helped guide me many times in mm. situations or talk through situations like that. Um, so that's probably one barrier for sure.
1: What I, I got to hear now, and I'm super interested in this, like, Hey, I, I did touch about it in the intro, but just for our audience to hear from, in your words, if you could tell us about your role today and then, after you are done that, I want to hear about what are some of the misconceptions that people would have about a role like yours or the world, the world that you walk in?
0: I, I get to be the chief people officer at Westland insurance, which I started in that role about two years ago. And so in my role, I oversee and lead the people in performance or HR department, um, HR team. So I lead the people strategy for the organization. Um, And really my main focus, you know, two years ago, we were a much smaller organization. We're growing rapidly. I think we've doubled in size since I've been there. We're doing four to five acquisitions a month. Um, And so a key part of my role was helping to help scale the business by creating a people and performance team really progressive people practices and foundational to help us grow the business. So it's been really fun. It's, yeah. It's so fun. Um, it's a really cool company. I get to come in and feel like I make a mark. I get to build and just be part of some really fun and challenging growth.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think I said this in my interview with Jason, uh, Jason Webbs who's the CEO of uh, Westland for everyone who's here. And, um, I feel like almost like that was a little bit of a commercial for Westland because I love westland like i I think this company's the the bones are so good of this company, the foundation solid, the executive solid like good caring company. I highly recommend any any professionals uh considering whether Westland's a fit like go check it out they're incredible organization, solid values, great leadership. but let's hear about some misconceptions. Is that your dog snoring in the background?
0: It is my dog snoring, yeah, is that okay. Uh,
1: no, I love it. I, I want this to be amplified, Spencer. Like this is the coolest moment. We got we got snoring dogs. You
0: know, snoring, yeah.
1: <laughs> I love it. If you think about your role, and not necessarily at Westland, what would be the misconceptions of like leading something like that, like or even of a function like that?
0: Yeah, I think you know, for HR, a misconception is that it's administrative policies and procedures that were just there to put up roadblocks and tell you no and put up build policies and um, just the administration functions which by the way is the administration functions are very important and they help Mm -hmm. uh, make sure people are paid and have benefits for them and their family but it really is so much
1: more. It's interesting you say that because, like, i it always tells me a lot about a business when we're kind of getting into into a, a business cycle with them, where we're going to do programs or this or that. When uh business unit leaders are like, yeah, don't bring in HR; they're just going to block it or whatever. And I always, I always, I don't necessarily think negatively of the business because of that, but it always tells me like, ah, uh, their their business isn't functioning in a healthy way. Because from my perspective, like. The HR HR business function, like these are like business people. They've got a seat at the table. The strongest, the strongest organizations I work at are when the HR group is viewed as being as much at the table as anyone else, rather than like, well, they're, they're kind of like almost like the rule enforcers of our group.
0: Yeah. That's one of the things I love about being at Westland is that Jason, our CEO and the other executives I work with, I've never felt more included or part mm-hmm. um that hr is hr is such an integral piece of the business
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I, our team is treated as such and in the investments that we're putting into the areas also
1: yeah and it, it's as much if from my perspective as having like someone let's say jason or uh, other you know, leaders view hr as that as it is about building a team that engages like that so like how have you built, because I've, I've seen you do it at Westland and I also saw you do it at your, at your former role. How do you build teams that kind of demand to have that space at the table? Like what have you done to, to create those kinds of teams?
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to learn the business, be very knowledgeable about the business, um, understand the strategy of the full, biz, the full company strategy and each of the departmental strategy and then ensure that we're helping build our plans to help each leader achieve that. Uh, and that that's the collaboration between HR and the business. And I think if leaders feel like you're actually helping um, them solve problems challenges move their strategy forward it helps get that seat at the table
1: yeah how can an HR group small big whatever size company how can they move past that idea of being like kind of like the administrators or the rule like the note takers or the rule keepers like how do we move past that how can a group move past that
0: a big piece of it is Spending time with the leaders, spending time with the leaders and their teams. What I have seen in other HR teams, and even some people that I've worked with before, is they uh, is we can sit in our back office and do work, but there are a group of us that uh, I think should be spending time building relationships with the business leaders getting invited, being part of their meetings, being part of their strategic planning sessions. Um, And that's how you, and just starting to become that person that they lean on and talk to. So it's a very proactive approach instead of sitting there. If you're just sitting waiting, then you're really just waiting for the problems. They're not going to reach out. They're only going to reach out when they have the problems. But if you're being proactive and inserting yourself and building the relationships, you're there to help solve um, business issues.
1: Yeah, and like even forecast, like, hey, this could be a problem in, in the future. You, what's interesting to me about what you just said, that seems a lot like what you did in early career when you were like, I refuse to be looked over, I'm gonna like put my hand up, I'm gonna like grind harder to the next person, work harder to the next person, like put my hand up to get the, to make sure that I'm involved in things. It's kind of like that same approach.
0: Yeah, it, it, yeah, you're right. I hadn't looked at it that way. Um, like even simple things around, like I make sure that I do, I do monthly one-on-ones with each of the executive leaders, like one-on-one. I want to know what's happening. Um, what are their people challenges? What's happening? And what's great is you get into a cadence of like, they come with a list of things they want to chat about yeah. and you're solving things together. And then all of a sudden you're hearing from them, many times throughout that month. that doesn't wait till that one-on-one, but those are the types of things to just be, it's, it's very simple, but I think it takes a really proactive approach to it.
1: It does. And if I think about being proactive, one of the things that has stood out to me about your leadership is your willingness to take on like the hard stuff. So I was talking to uh, another podcast guest, a guy named Andrew Klein, um, who's also a realtor. And uh, he mentioned for him, the difference between good to great is the willingness to do something your own way and to like really put yourself into it, like who you are into it versus just trying to like equalize, like kind of do what everyone else is doing. He's like, that's when people become great, but it's scary and it's hard and like, you know, you get a lot of pushback. Um, in your role, both the one you're in now and the one that you're in previously, you have always taken on the hard stuff and you've always looked the tough stuff in the eye and went out and did it authentically and did it as yourself. And I believe you're a great, truly great leader that comes at a cost though. So how do you take care of yourself when you take on those level of levels of challenges?
0: Yeah, I do I do a lot of stuff outside of work. Um, you know, I've become very much better, I would say, at shutting down, um, at, like with it outside of work hours. Um, I make sure that, you know, I work out almost every day. Um, I'm doing things that I, some things around passions that I'm really interested in. Um, spending time with people, so there's just there, I make sure that I'm doing those things. I also try to make sure that i'm I'm um, doing things that make my life easier. So I hate cooking, so why am I gonna spend time cooking? So my you know Paul and i we order we order I have a meal delivery service, and that's just something like I don't have to stress about that. That's a stressor for me, like take that off my plate. Mm -hmm. And so it's just learning, I think that stuff, focus on the stuff I enjoy and then remove the stressors.
1: First of all, thank you for saying that. That's like super like open of you. Okay. Some people love cooking. I hate cooking. I can't stand it. I got like, I'm not good at it. I don't want to learn how to do it. I'm too busy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, totally.
1: (laughs) So like there's, there's like, you know, I'd say common advice, like, you know, make sure to like, you know work out and stuff like that. But that idea about making your life easier. Yeah. I don't hear that all the time. And it's an interesting thing. Like, when did you start applying that to your, to your life? Like saying like, actually I got to make my life easier here.
0: Oh, okay. So I am a creature of habits. I have mm-hmm. lo- I've always been somebody that has routines, which I believe make things easier. Mm-hmm. Where I really started to hone in on it is, Um, probably about five years ago and that was at uh, probably one of the most stressful times in my life and career. I was the VP of HR in in my prior role. You know, we were moving and Paul, my partner, his sort of business and stuff was really starting to ramp up and just hitting um i was starting to hit a wall of like just feeling over capacity and burnt out and um so that's where it was like yeah like what are the things like just stepping back and asking myself that um but it probably it took it took time to give me the permission to say like yeah it's okay not to cook like i'm sorry paul i'm not, like I'm, I'm just not going to cook every night and we're going to trade off dishes like you do this one night, I'm going to do them the next night. And, uh, and just really, we're going to have somebody come in and look, we're super privileged to be able to do that. And I'm grateful there's, um, but it's just like having that conversation and just being, I think just giving myself, uh, being okay with it. That's what I would say. Cause I think he, I felt like I should be doing all of it. And no, I don't, I, I don't need to do all that.
1: Okay. So as we're getting like, you, you, I don't want to say you backed off from it, but like a little bit like, oh, you know what? I feel a little privileged saying this. No, like it's important that people hear this. Like I fully believe that people have to give themselves permission to not be perfect. Like, and you have to actively do that. Listen, like as an example, I'm running a growing company and I'm still actively coaching. I don't, I don't coach as much as I used to, but I'm actively coaching. I write, do a podcast, I'm writing a book. I'm a dad of a young child, you know, I've got a relationship, I'm uh, I in a band, like I'm trying to try and take care of myself. When the hell do I have time to cook? Yeah, right. I was doing laundry at like 1030 at night last night. And I went, you know, like, and and I was like, I don't want to do this laundry. I just want to send it out to like a laundry service, which I, I recently had until recently. Are we privileged to have these things of course, and very thankful, but whatever it is, operating at a high level and trying to lead change on like bigger scales and do bigger things to do that you have to allow yourself to be human and to be human needs to say like what can I take off my plate including something like meal planning is an incredible like having someone a meal uh, delivery service is an incredible thing to do and I think it's a great sage piece of advice
0: yeah thank you and you know behind me you'll see My Peloton, I have a gym set up. You know, I I did CrossFit for many years, which I loved. And it was a big part of my um, just being able to shut down and escape. And but it also meant I had to sign up for find a class that suited my schedule, make sure that I was leaving on time, getting there. And now I can fit this in whenever I want. It's like right in my home. And even that that little thing, it's just made it way easier for me.
1: Yeah, just simplify and make it as simple as you can. All right, I want to go to the next space though because the kinds of changes that you lead have been quite breathtaking to to observe and like see you go through and they don't come without like an emotional cost. So there's there's obvious ones like you've been leading in a business that's like scaling up dramatically during a pandemic. So one of those like scaling up is like huge. And also it's like so much acquisitions happening. So having to like merge cultures of different companies, it's wild. And during a, during a pandemic, but also like you're incredibly focused on diversity, inclusion, and equity. You're really in the most, I think, um, like honest and, and authentic ways, like really in the fray of trying to move our society towards having like just a proper work culture where everyone can feel represented and respected. And I've seen you do that, of course, here and then in your your other role. That's a lot of uh, weight to carry. So tell us about that emotional impact.
0: Mm, Well, I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. I feel like it's just what I'm meant to do with my purpose I spend time even outside of work working on that stuff for me around the emotional where it becomes like a negative emotional weight is when I don't feel like I'm making an impact or that I don't have the support or that there's something maybe um, from an integrity level That's that's the like really negative emotional weight the other emotional weight for me is like sometimes it's just overwhelming. Like there was times during the pandemic that was very overwhelming and I but I put a lot of self imposed like, oh my gosh, I I have to protect like every single employee at Westland. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and I don't really know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> I mean, I do know what I'm doing, but no one's ever gone through this before. We're figuring right. it out. Right. So self imposed. Yeah. So I guess just understanding, stepping back. I've become much better at identifying when I'm at that that capacity mm. and feeling overwhelmed. And is it um, that negative? Uh, is it coming from that negative piece of something I actually just need to take myself out from or deal with, or is it just something self-imposed and help redirect my expectations and um, you know, I you're, you're my coach, and I think mm-hmm. talking to you is really helpful. Um, and then incorporating some of those other things I do in my life. is I've, I have to shut down, I've got to work out, I need to eat well, I need to get outside. Those are things I just make sure to help me really cope with those things.
1: Yeah. And it, it's, it's an interesting thing. Cause like to play at the highest levels, cause you, I mean, as I said, like Westland's a super cool company, great bones, great leadership, great people that work there, but like, yeah, like you're doing like real stuff. Like it's not, it's not like a, you know, a, a joy ride. It's, it's tough work growing a business. Like it's tough work growing a business that has 14 people in it. I can't imagine growing something of the size uh, with the stakes that all of you are playing at. It's it's a real deal thing, and it's a, there is a joyous part of it, but it's also it's got a it's got a toll. Throw in a pandemic, throw in the level of of real deal like social change that you're you're also leading there. It's a lot. Um, I love the way that you were talking about though, like really like you got to let yourself be human, take a break, shut down, get outside, do all do all those things there's something specific about you though. I, I want to talk about in terms of like having your emotions and allowing your emotions to really be present because I know like that isn't easy for everyone in the workplace. And in fact, one of the things that I, I hear a lot and I, people ask me a lot about is um, I often have people say like Ram, I've been told I'm too sensitive and uh, you know, like don't be so sensitive and this and that. And I think that is the worst most toxic feedback someone can get in the workplace or in general, like stop being so sensitive. Um, whereas bringing your emotions and allowing those to be a part of, of who you are as a professional is super important. And that's something that I think that you do a, an incredible job at.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I, I've been told, I was told for years, uh, I was too sensitive. And mm-hmm. when you're told you're too sensitive, it's being positioned as a weakness. They're not totally. like, oh, you're too sensitive. It's such a strength. <laughs> it's, <laughs> right. it's you're being told you, and I was told that both work and impersonal mm-hmm. uh, in a prior role, it even came up in some 360 feedback mm-hmm. uh, that I was given that yeah, I was I was too sensitive. It was definitely positioned as a weakness. Yeah, it's my strength. I I believe it. What it's what it gives me the ability to pick up on things that. Um, aren't said that I think many people miss or oblivious to I'm very sensitive to what's going on in a room or on a call Um, it gives me the ability to connect with uh, a lot of different types of people and build relationships Um, and I also because I'm caring and I'm very sensitive I think it positions me well to have those very difficult conversations that many people shy away from or help leaders know how to go into those conversations Mm -hmm. Uh, because I come at it from such a a caring, sensitive space. Um, And so I, it's my strength. And Mm -hmm. I, you've said this to me before, there's many leaders that work years to have a high EQ. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think I have that.
1: It's so funny you say that. And this is something that around this topic I talk about a lot people have contracted Cadence and and, uh, myself and more so myself specifically so many times to kind of give their humanity back to them. (laughs) Like, like, how do I develop more empathy? And like, you know, we've developed our, I have developed a way I help people do that, but like, how do I develop more empathy? Like, how do I get more in touch with my emotions? How do I lead from more of like a, a emotion, emotional connectivity side? And I think one of the worst things that we've done in, in corporate culture, and I even say in how we raise kids is like, Oh, don't be so sensitive where I'd say one of the ways that i've encouraged people to speak about this and i know you've heard this is talking about emotions being more accessible or less accessible so you're someone who's got a lot of access to your emotions and that means that they're that they're accessible by others and there's people who have less access to their emotions and that means their emotions are less accessible to others and it's about access here's where um not for you as i'm saying this but i'm saying this for the audience uh, more so is where I think people do the work is that if you're someone who has a lot of access to their emotions and other people have access to it as well, as long as those emotions don't keep you or others from doing the right thing, that's where it is. And if those emotions keep you or others from doing the right thing, then the work is how do you keep the access for you and others to the emotions and make sure that they don't become a barrier to the right things happening? That's where the work is. Don't, don't push down the feelings. Figure out how you're positioning the feelings so that they they don't become a barrier.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good and I, I, I understand why at times it has been seen as a weakness or, Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's, I can be very easy to read. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's good for me to be aware of what my facial expression or my body language might be saying to somebody. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really fair point. Um, I think that uh, you know I can be reactive, and uh, it's really important that I that for me that I want to take a step back and and just consider how I am reacting, like why am I reacting? what's what's that about uh, before I go and speak it? So there are some really fair things in the feedback that I've gotten. Um, I don't think it's really been provided to me in a great constructive way except for working with you Um, but I've learned how to understand it in a constructive way like what are the what are the areas around me being really sensitive that can sometimes uh, not be you know works against me and then what are what what's the strength about it and that's where I I've really tried to do a better job at leveraging that strength Um, you know for a long time I tried to push pushed that piece of me down and which wasn't good which wasn't good for me and now I'm in an environment where it's really welcomed and respected and like oh you know Carrie's got a viewpoint that we want to hear and yes yeah, sometimes it's going to be something I maybe don't want to hear or it's going to have a little bit of emotion behind it but it's welcomed. yeah
1: yeah and-
0: that's wonderful i i mean i want everyone to have that type of experience
1: totally and going back to one of our earlier or the earlier part of our conversation around knowing whether or not to leave a job it's like if you're getting feedback like you're too sensitive it's like hey that might be an indicator to leave a job or it could be an indicator to say like hey i don't like the language around that i i personally deeply feel it's inappropriate language to tell someone they're too sensitive and i encourage anyone where if you have someone who's got a lot of accessibility to their emotions and that accessibility is towards other people are of uh, access to it. That's how I'd encourage people to talk about is accessibility. And it might sound like a flip of a nuance, like, and it is, but it, it is intended to be more respectful and more empowering rather than you're too much of this. Um, Like sometimes, yeah, maybe you should leave a job because of that. Or maybe sometimes you're like, huh, maybe this is a space where I can like observe, learn, listen, and figure out what where how I need to carry that feedback and learn from that feedback to position myself better for the next role, either here or somewhere else. You did mention something oh, I want to follow up at. So like that kind of sense of being able to be your whole self at work, you know? And like, you know, what are the things I say to people often around? It's like, I want to be my whole self at work where it's like, well, does that mean like you in your bathrobe or like, <laughs> what does that mean? Right? Like the, the whole self at work requires work on our end to know what that appropriate whole self is. And You know, you are someone who's just like so courageous in being in that space. And I can say that factually from knowing you for so long, just like really you're discovering that whole, what that whole self is and bringing it to work. But what are the benefits of being that whole self at work? Like, how does that elevate your, your ability to like really make a difference?
0: Oh, I feel so much more productive I'm in a much happier state, which just allows me to be more productive. I have such a comfort bringing forward ideas or disagreeing with something or challenging. Um, And that's so important for teams to have. Mm -hmm. And when you have that in a team, that's when like an individual elevates and Mm -hmm. so do other people. So um, I think just that concept yeah, I just feel so. Yeah, it, it just like it sounds so cheesy, but kind of just brings out it brings out the best, or brings out more of me, or tap into things that maybe I didn't even know. Like, oh, I'm more creative than I thought I was. I yes. do have good ideas, or mm-hmm. yeah, like I feel more empowered to make a decision. Like, there's those types of things where you might have been more held back.
1: Yeah, it, it, dead on. Like, I, I agree so much because like when you're trying to push down big parts of who you are then you're actually pushing down huge parts of your like talent and your insight and your gut feelings like uh, when i worked at uh before i started cadence i was working in another coaching firm and for a long time i felt i had to like kind of be this like can't show i'm tattooed had to be this like really like you know like really kind of, I guess, like traditional business person. And it was like the crappiest version of me. The least interesting version of me is what uh, emerged from there. And once you can be your whole self, you can really bring huge value to yourself, to the company, to the team. Like, cause like you can just build from a position of who you really are versus who you you think you need to be, to be successful.
0: Yeah. And you know, Ram, I want to be, uh, something I want to be clear on is I'm excited. Experiencing it on a minute level, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a white, straight, able-bodied, English-speaking woman. Mm-hmm. I have a. It's way easier for me in lots of areas, but I, I mix. I have ex, so I'm experienced in a minute way, and it, it's been impactful. So um, that's why it's so like it's so important that um, for everyone to be able to tap into tap into those areas of ourselves and bring that into the workplace.
1: It makes perfect sense. Cause that goes exactly to what I want to ask you next. So you're so focused on and not so focused. I know it's one of your many focus, but it's something that I, I have known you to be very passionate about is diversity, inclusion, and equity within the work world. The way that I, I often think about it though, is like we're starting a cathedral that's not going to be completed until we're gone. Right? Like we're talking about like this huge change but you're very, very in the mix of it. So if it's something that like we don't necessarily see the winds every day and it disproportionately affects other people that aren't you and me, like, you know, we are white people, able-bodied and all these things. We're not going to necessarily be there for when the big changes, when it finally gets over the hill, nor are we going to necessarily feel the difference because we come from a privileged position. So, how do you keep yourself energized and focused on this if you're not feeling the shift personally? Necessarily, I'm sure you are, but as as profoundly as other people would, and it's not happening as fast as we'd like it to have. How do you keep yourself in the fray?
0: I don't have those thoughts of like, oh, I'm not gonna be around. Of I see the little things um, and I get very motivated. That's a, I guess that's a enough for me. It's not enough, but it's enough to keep me motivated to do it.
1: Yeah. So the like the little wins and the gradual changes, those those still energize you and kind of, they put the wind in your sails as you go.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do think what helps is because I've, I lead a lot of big programs and change initiatives. So I have a, I have a good background in change management. And so um, the principles of just trying to take steps don't focus on like let's just try to keep going break it down into smaller chunks things that you can put your arms around like what what are the things that I can focus on and impact so I have a I have that viewpointer lens into it already that I think gives me a good backbone for it
1: mm, yeah I I love that right, I got a few more questions before we we close off but I'm gonna hit you with some tough ones
0: of course you are. Okay, <laughs> like we already haven't been tested.
1: <laughs> because I, 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 I know you can roll with them. All right. What did you learn about yourself at your last job that's helping you lead in the way that you want to lead in your current job?
0: That I need and want to be someplace that's really up for it, and I mean up for the type of change that. I I want
1: to be part of. You know, one of the things we talked about earlier is like when you're younger in your career, like a lot of it is like maybe you're getting passed over, but there's so much of like you you're grinding and working hard, but you're learning, and the the pay of some of that stuff is the learning and the developing. But you kind of start getting to a level where it's like actually I've got a lot to give here, and it's not just about like what I'm willing to learn and grow or whatever. It's like am I going to go into a jo- I only want to go into a job where that place and the people there are willing to learn and grow. And I, I love that. I think that's like a really cool thing to have learned about yourself and to be able to like consider when you're heading into that next job. And we tend to think about those things at more senior levels, but I think it's a real cool perspective.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting to think about that because for years in my, in my last job where I was almost there for 11 years and you're right, mm-hmm. like I was doing tons of great stuff and learning and growing. And then there was just this tipping point where it's like, oh, the stuff that I want to do or the change that I'm interested in, or some of my viewpoints on things, um, they're not ready for it. And so yeah. then that doesn't work for me anymore. That, yeah. That's not in line with who I am anymore. And yeah. so to just be able to make that shift over uh, was was really important
1: for me. Yeah, And I, I encourage people like be like be diligent shoppers, you know, like the same way you'd go into like doing any kind of research for any major investment, you know, like you're going to like buy a house or something or whatever it is should do that about your job. And part of it is like, they shouldn't just be interviewing you. You should be interviewing them. You should be having tons of conversations, make sure wherever you're going, especially when you start playing at more senior level roles, are ready to play at the level that you want to play at because that's what makes a great fit all right last question for you You ready
0: <laughs> another one okay
1: that's it, that it it's last 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 one not as tough if you're going to say for someone uh gr- coming up in the hr world who really wants to make a difference and that difference could be in anything it could be about being a great, like really being in the business, or it could be about like really creating like change that is, uh, central to people feeling like they, they've got a place at work. If you're thinking about that, if you're going to say, give one piece of advice for people coming up in the HR world who want to make a difference, what piece of advice would you give them?
0: HR is so much more than just liking to work with people. Mm -hmm. It is, it's a very strategic function. You're working with all areas of the business. Um, you are part of building a culture, but you're also, you've got to be up for some very challenging situations, pushing people um, ready to sort of stand and have a voice i think uh hr has failed miserably in many organizations in letting things happen and we're supposed to be the we're supposed to help drive culture and equity and inclusion and make a great place to work and Um, you've got to be able, you've got to be up for having those conversations and pushing things through. And it's not about being nice and liking people.
1: I love that. That's awesome. All right. So last question, Carrie, as we're closing off, anything that you want to leave our our audience with?
0: I just want to say thank you so much. It's been a great experience getting to talk through and um, my journey as an HR professional and leader. So thank you very much
1: absolutely all right uh everyone i will see you in the outro and spencer drop the beat